John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kilticket, Ed. John, it's yes. the Monday Night High Gain. Monday Night High Gain. Oh, man. One of the best nights for high gain. And That's why it's so hot out. Yeah. Yeah. Where are we? We are in a basement in sweltering West Seattle, Washington. Brutal. Which one of your various old man ailments did the heat affect? None. I love the heat. The heat's my jam. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I've got not only a really cool guitar. Yeah. The person who built this guitar. Yeah. All by himself <laughs> is here. All by himself. Saul's here. Saul's here. I'm here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How are you guys? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm also in the Pacific Northwest dealing with this heat wave. Pacific Northwesters are just generally not built for it. You know, the moss doesn't like that. No. <laughs> it wrecks my moss escape. Yeah. <laughs> Saul is Saul Cole, of course, of Cole Guitars. This guitar, it's black on black on black. It's pretty killer. It's pretty great. Thanks. This is a Black Junior Glide special, the glide being Saul's own creation in terms of profile. Yep. And it's got three Ed, three P90s in it. We just talked about P90s last week and spent a lot of time deep diving on the P90. So we can make comments and see how much you remember? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> nothing. Well, remember I, I told you that initially the P90 was called the PU90? Pickup, yep. Right. These are KP90s, is that right, Saul? Yeah, these were developed for us by Rob at Arcane Pickups. When I relaunched Cole Guitar Company under my own hand after Premier Builders Guild had it for a short while, I wanted to come back with some custom-made hardware that was specific to me. So Rob and I went back and forth on a bunch of different um, P90 wines until he came up with this particular one. I built a tester guitar that I could easily swap pickups out in 
even while you're strumming it, you can slip the pickups in and out. <laughs> oh, wow. I have such a short memory, you know. <laughs> is this one better? Or is that one better? I can't remember. That one sounded kind of bright, I think. This way, with this tester guitar, I could really hear him. He ended up making about a dozen different wines until we kind of closed in on what I was after. I wanted it to sound kind of archaic and primitive. I wanted something more brutal sounding, like something's broken in your system. Maybe not that extreme, but this is what we came up with. Beverages. <laughs> Beverages, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> that give you a sense of it, Ed? That kind of gave me a sense of that guitar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Your guy there. Elvis. Yep. Yeah. Pump yep. it up. Yep. Note to the future. Wasn't yep. that great what I'm going to do? <laughs> Amazing. Great song choice. Great artist choice. Right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Hey, Saul, what are you drinking? Well, yesterday was Father's Day, and the beer fairy, my daughter, um, <laughs> sent over <laughs> this... <laughs> Four pack of something called Bayerlick Brewing Company. I'd never heard of it before, but apparently it's a Portland, Oregon brewery. And it's this dad beer, easy drinking beer. <laughs> it's a pretty light beer. Free prohibition lager. That's what it says. Does it actually say it's a dad beer? Yeah, that's what this is called. It's called dad beer. Wow. And it's like a low power kind of thing. So lawnmower beer is what we call it. <laughs> I just cracked it. I thought this would be timely and we'll remember when we actually recorded this thing so perfect what about you ed i have uh liquid death mountain water murder your thirst it says <laughs> oh it's a can of water with a melting skull on it Ooh, wow drinking water from the austrian alps wow yeah a can of water with a really cool logo <laughs> i feel so boring now <laughs> Go ahead, John. It's very hot, and when it's hot, you need to stay hydrated. Sure. So I'm reverting to a sports drink, Gatorade Thirst Quencher. Oh, my God. That's terrible. What color? It's green color. <laughs> it says right on the bottle, Thirst Quencher. It does. It should work, right? I have to tell you, it's in an actual aluminum can, this liquid death thing. And then it's just got flat water in it. <laughs> it's pretty disturbing <laughs> to drink out of aluminum and not have any carbonation at all. It's kind of weird. I don't know, Saul, if you were kidding, but I've got a quote here. This is you. Okay. There's got to be some humor involved somehow. I want there to be something like an Easter egg in there to be like, oh, I see why he did that. Just a little giggle or something like that. Where's the Easter egg in this guitar, Saul? None more black. That was probably the chuckle that we had over that one. At its heart, it's basically my take on the classic Les Paul Jr., Les Paul Special. It's a one-piece mahogany body, one-piece mahogany neck. I can't remember what fingerboard we used on that one, but in all, there's basically three pieces of wood in that guitar. And then very primitive pickups. So as simple as you can get, I like to think there's some raw power, but it's also funny, you know? <laughs> it's very punk. 
I dig it a lot. The Clash would have been an okay pick, John, for a song. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Do you do mostly custom orders or do you do kind of a mix of custom and retail? Over the course of my career, it's varied. Lately, we are building mostly standard things that we're selling through a couple dealers. I was a custom builder repair guy for you know decades, and it's hard to completely get out of that realm. Basically, we're building for our dealers with about as many custom orders, currently not taking any new custom orders, so I'll get caught up. I don't know if it's a COVID thing, demand is going oh, up yeah. and supply is kind of going down, but a lot of these guys are just like, uh, oh, we can't take any more orders. We're done for a little while. Yeah, it's really hard, especially if you're a one-person shop like mine. My business is me and my partner, Gary Hustwit. He's in Brooklyn, actually, and he does all the sales and marketing, and I'm pretty much alone in my shop. And to do every single aspect from design to finish work to electronics to setups and everything, it's all consuming. I tend to get excited when people are ordering instruments. I'm as excited to build the thing as they are to order it. And I tend to say, sure, I can fit that in. Yeah. And pretty soon I've got people waiting guitars for, you know, two years. It's like, you know what? I think I should probably stop taking orders until I get kind of on top of this and, and then we'll reopen it again. I work alone in my shop, so I'm not dealing with closures or that sort of thing or employees that can't come in. I did have some supply chain stuff, like platers couldn't plate because they didn't have their full shop in order. But for the most part, people like my stuff, and so I'm at peak making. <laughs> it's a good place to be unless you're waiting for one of the guitars. What you guys got is perfect because it's available now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go to Thunder Road Guitars, and this could be yours. Let's talk about where your story begins. Southern California, right? Yeah. I grew up in Southern California, a little north of Los Angeles in a small town called Newhall. I started playing guitar when I was 12. I was never really into sports or anything like that. So I would be playing my guitar or trying to fix my guitar or building things or making things in the garage, you know, when everybody else was out playing ball or whatever normal people do. <laughs> After I graduated high school, I went to San Diego State and ended up in the art department there, kind of discovered that that's where my people were and found some books on guitar making and started making guitars in my kitchen as a hobby. All through this time, I was playing in bands. And after one tour, this would have been in 87 or 88, I needed a job. I stumbled into a place called World of Strings in Long Beach, California. Huh. And just on a whim, I went in there and said, are you hiring? I'm a self-taught luthier <laughs> guitar guy. And I brought in a guitar that I had made. The proprietor, John Peterson, looked it over and said, well, it's a very naive attempt, but you show some promise. Huh. You have an art background, so maybe you can help us with some color touch-ups. Can you come here on Monday? And I did. I got a great education from this working shop. We did violin family things, but also acoustic and electric guitars and instruments from all around the world, basically. And because I was the new guy, they would always throw me the jobs that they didn't want to do. <laughs> this was before Schechter and Ibanez and all these others started doing seven strings for the heavy players. If you wanted a seven string guitar, you had to have a luthier or guitar maker craft one for you. I got thrown those jobs. Saul, can you make us this seven string guitar? 
I think I can do that. You know, I would take anything. And I kind of created my own niche initially, just making seven string guitars. Along the way, I developed the glide shape of that guitar that you have. You have a junior glide there. And that basic outline, that shape became the foundation for my whole business. You know, an archtop version, which is like a little jazz guitar, a Les Paul kind of maple carb top and Gretsch kind of influenced things. Anything you've ever seen in a pawn shop, I've probably stolen those ideas and hung it on that basic body shape. That's probably what makes it feel so familiar right out of the gate. There's nothing that's going to freak anybody out too much. That was very important to me. Yeah. I wanted it to be different. I didn't want it to be a copy of anything. But if you went into a pawn shop and you saw one of these hanging on the wall, I wanted it to look like it was among its cousins, you know. So the glide shape, did it evolve from something more, less poly? And then you kind of slowly elongated the top, or did it come from like a stratty kind of world or none? Well, you got to start somewhere. In this case, the band I was playing with, the other guitar player was a pretty large frame fella. He's 6'4", and he was playing a GNL ASAT, which is a telly kind of thing. And it just looked wrong on him. Let me design a guitar for you. So that night I grabbed my Les Paul and I sharpied that on a piece of cardboard and I grabbed my Telecaster and I sharpied that on the cardboard and I started just moving lines around and I built that out as a guitar for him. And then the next iteration was what you see. So I've pretty much stuck with that since 93 or something like that. I have the tendency to want to do everything. You know, I want to make a stand-up bass. I want to make a cello. I want to make a mandolin and I want to make a banjo too. You can't be a master of all those things. So in an effort to kind of contain my exuberance and my tendency to get distracted, I thought, well, I can build all those things, but I build them with this guitar outline. <laughs> you know what I mean? John and I talk about like within art, doing things within constraints. Yeah. We would sit down and record a song. Okay, four hours. We have to have a complete mix done in four hours. Yeah. It feels like that. Within the constraint of this glide shape, you can have anything you want. Absolutely. The world is your oyster, as long as your oyster is like <laughs> that shape. Yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah, those constraints allow you to be super creative. Right. I also just like that it is not any guitar. I don't look at it and go like, oh, it's like a Les Paul Jr. It hits the sweet spot, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I can look at this and right away, oh, that's different. I haven't seen too many of those, but it's not so different that it's going to wig me out. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what I like about the Abernathy stuff. Oh, yeah. He's a great dude. I met him through Premier Builders Guild. He was one of the builders down there who made the coals when they licensed it for a brief time. Really good dude and really cool guitars. <laughs> Okay, I got to know about that truck, that Volkswagen you drove onto the floor of the convention center at NAM. Oh, the truck? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a 1964 single cab. And what's not so apparent about that is that it's the last of its type. As you saw, it's a drop gate. It's a pickup truck. Growing up, we saw plenty of the microbuses, you know? Yeah. They were everywhere. All the hippies had them, even non-hippies families bought them. They're all over the place. But the trucks are very rare. They're relatively rare. And the reason for that is something called the chicken tax. The story goes that in the early 60s, Germany complained that American farmers were dumping poultry and they couldn't compete sales-wise. And so the German government put 
a tariff on incoming poultry. And so tit for tat, the U.S. government put a tariff on light duty trucks, which is what that thing is. Chicken tax. My truck was built in November of 63, and it landed in the port of Portland in uh, January of 64. And it was like one of the last of its type that was allowed in, in the country without the 20% tariffs or whatever. It effectively eliminated those things from the U.S., this chicken tax did. Not only is it weird, it's rare. <laughs> so you drove it down to the show and then right on into the hall onto the floor. My first car when I was like 15 years old was a wrecked Beetle, which I assembled. And by the time I was 16, I had a running car. So had Volkswagens of all types growing up. And then when I had children, I just couldn't stand to see them without heat and without bumpers and without, you know, safety. So we sold off all the air-cooled Volkswagens. We got Volvos. And then when the girls were old enough, I had a nostalgia for the old Volkswagens. And so I went on a search for this one and found it. And so it became the model. I could use it to display guitars on the bed. And I could also have performers playing on the bed. The thing about Volkswagens is everybody has a Volkswagen story of a certain age. Yeah. Even if they have no interest in your guitars, they have no interest in you. They want to talk to you about their Volkswagen. The coal truck has that pull. At the show, I swear I talked 50% of the time about the guitars and 50% of the time. <sighs> about Volkswagen stories, you know, I got laid the first time in a bus, you know, or whatever the story is <laughs> about driving it down. Nam is very expensive to do. Yeah. And it's a 55 year old vehicle. I can't quite trust it to get anywhere on time. So the secret is, and you can cut this out if you want. <laughs> no, no, I have it trucked down, but after the show, I drive it home. Oh. It's a thousand miles from Anaheim to my house here in Portland. But it's a nice trip, and it's a great way to decompress. Just get in the truck and point it north. Take Highway 1 and drive until I get tired, get a hotel, you know, have a couple beverages, rinse, repeat, do that until I get home, you know, for the, over the next three days. It's, it's fantastic. I've done that four times, I think. It's always great. Do you ever on the way down or back stop back in Newhall? Newhall's right on five. I've taken five once or twice in that truck, and it's no fun. Top speed is like 55. <laughs> 60 maybe yep. it's basically like a dumpster with a lawnmower engine yep <laughs> on the freeway it's pretty scary that's why i like one <laughs> you know ed saul's hometown newhall right yeah. outside of los angeles there. yeah there's a place called the melody ranch okay it was owned by gene autry oh oh we lost him yeah we lost gene autry <laughs> but the people that ended up with it kind of revived it and it is one of the main places to film westerns okay Seasons one and two of Westworld. Oh, okay. That town. Got it. Yeah. Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Newhall was an interesting place because we're north of Burbank and Hollywood. So while the stars would live in the Hollywood Hills and Beverly Hills and whatnot, the grips and the photographers and the crews would live in Newhall. <laughs> A lot of my classmates were film industry related, but not the stars, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of film locations up there. Vasquez Rocks is up there. So any science fiction you've ever seen with these kind of diagonal rocks sticking out of the earth. Got it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's 10 minutes up the road, you know. <laughs> sure. When I was growing up there, I just wanted to get the heck out because there was no rock and roll. All of us had older brothers who were going over to the Starwood and to scream in Hollywood and seeing punk rock and all the music that was happening. None of that made it up to Newhall. So I was eager to get out and experience some of that. 
and it was just far enough away. Yeah, because we didn't drive. You know, we didn't have cars yet. <laughs> yep. It's only 20 miles away, but it could have been a thousand miles at that point. Can we talk about this guitar again for a second? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> John has it on his lap. Yes. Yeah. And the bridge on it, it's cool. Jason Schroeder makes those. The wraparound? Yeah, those are really fantastic. They're made down in Redding, California, and it's basically an improvement upon the most basic wraparound Les Paul Jr. bridge. Yep. With very few moving parts, but it's intonatable. You get all the benefits of that simple design, but it plays in tune, which can be rare on some of those old juniors. I use exclusively, mostly, his wraparound bridge and his tunematic. It just seems substantial. Yeah. I can tune this up, and the only thing that's going to throw it out of tune is, you know, my own ineptitude. <laughs> but the hardware isn't going anywhere. Another thing that you might notice are the knobs. Is that plastic or old Bakelite? They're mimicking old Bakelite. They're new casting, but it's an old radio knob my friend located. And then we had a mold made of that. That's so cool. And so those are our own kind of proprietary thing. I thought they were an old radio knob. Perfect. <laughs> the touches like that are so great. Even like the tuners are shallers, but they're the open back, vintage looking nickel tuners. Yeah, love those. So you get all this contemporary functionality, but with the kind of old look to it. Yeah, exactly. It looks killer. Oh, thank you. We should probably listen to it dry, huh? Yeah. I'll put the tone more in the middle. Pickup selector in the middle. Yeah, you can kind of hear that broad, warmer, growly stuff that P90s will do. Yeah, they're pretty versatile depending on where your volume is. Very, very simple, old-fashioned, what is it, 30s design. This is neck position. So how's the blend go with this selector? Middle is what, all three? It's wired like a normal Les Paul three-way switch. So your neck and neck bridge and bridge in the three positions. But you can bring in the middle pickup with that second knob. Got it. Some of the really interesting tones for me are when you have it in the neck position and then have what is normally like a tone, have that cranked up as well. And it kind of gives you that number two position on a strat. Kind of bouncy. Yeah. And the same thing if you put it in the bridge position with that middle pickup all the way as well. You know, and if you just want classic Les Paul special kind of sound, then you turn that middle pickup all the way off and just use the neck by itself and the bridge by itself. And you have each version of this, the single pickup, double pickup, triple pickup. Yeah. Is one of those more popular than the other or... Two pickups by far. I'm a big fan of three pickups. I just like the versatility and I like the look of three pickups, you know. But usually, yeah, two pickups sell more than either the single or three. That makes sense. This guitar has the crazing on it. Do you do relics on some or not all? Or I don't do a lot of relics, but I like them. I have a guy here in town that does the job for me. 
I personally can't do it because I don't believe it as I'm doing it. If I try to do one and I ding it or craze it, to me, because I saw myself do it, I can't quite stomach it, you know. But if I have somebody else do it and I get the guitar back, then it's like, ah, this thing looks great. This is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. But yeah, that one has a very light relic on it. Just to try to make it look like it's 15, 20 years old and well played and enjoyed. Yep. It's cool. It looks really nice. Thanks. If this is 2016, this particular guitar, this would not be too far after the Premier Builders Guild folded, right? Yeah, that was our first year back at NAMM as a solo venture. Should we explain to the listeners what Premier Builders Guild was? Sure, yeah. I was approached by some people in 2007, and they wanted to buy Cole Guitar Company. I wasn't interested in selling. It didn't make sense to me, but I thought, well, maybe they might be interested in licensing some of these models that I make. That might be an interesting exercise. Let's see what happens. So we worked up an agreement for that. They could use Cole Guitar Company and Glide for a period of time, so long as I approved of what they did. They had Gene Baker running the shop. Right. I'm friends with Gene, and I thought, if Gene Baker is going to be making Cole guitars, I can get behind that. They bought out some companies entirely, Fano Guitars, for example. And the idea was to kind of combine forces, ally forces, so they can, you know, save on cases if they're going to buy in bulk and if they're going to buy wood in bulk and that kind of stuff. They're going to have a a spraying department. You know, all these things that for individual craftsmen are a problem, they were kind of going to solve by getting to a certain critical mass by putting these things together. It lasted for some years and then it slowly dissolved and and now it's no more. I got back everything that I put into it and um, I actually had a good time with the whole thing. So did you ramp up a shop? Are you like garage, you know? Initially, the idea was to ramp up and hire employees and get a building and all this sort of thing. But over time, I realized that I really enjoyed working alone. I really enjoyed the creative process and developing things on my own. When I had people in the shop, it was less fun for me than when I'm creating by myself. Right. So basically, I abandoned the idea of leasing a building and all that kind of stuff. You know, each of these guitars is made entirely by me. There's a connection between me and the in player. It certainly puts a limit on the quantity I can produce. But I think that's okay. Is there a particular part of that entire process that you like the most? Like, do you wake up in the morning on any given morning and say, ooh, it's paint day? Or is it something else? I really love looking at the woods, the raw materials, the big boards, and plotting out what it will become. I really like the early stages. As it gets closer and closer to the final kind of thing, there's more at stake. Hmm. When I've got you know, a hundred hours invested in something and I you know, scratch it at the very end. And that's a whole other uh, level of stress. Do you plan out like, oh, I need to make a bunch of some model or is that kind of an organic process where maybe you'll have multiple different models going at the same time or? It varies. Sometimes I'm following a script that the dealers want this many of this model, this many of that model. They want this one in red. They want this one in black. They want this one with gold. And I follow that list and I bounce around. Right now, there's probably 60 guitars underway in here. Oh, wow. I had my hands on two today. So you mentioned how much you derive pleasure from creating in that kind of solitary environment. 
Do you think there's a tie all the way back to that kid playing with stuff out in the garage? Oh, absolutely. I haven't changed a bit. You know, <laughs> my comfortable space is being a hermit and making cool shit. Yeah. Maybe it's platforms like Instagram that have made that easier for people. You can be out there all the time without having to actually be out there. That has been a game changer. Before, I would do more regional shows. And also, I used to buy more print ads. Whereas with Instagram, I'll post something and seconds later, their feedback starts coming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll post another one like that. That one worked. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Do you think that the quality we're seeing right now is at its height? I feel like in terms of boutique guitar building, this is like some kind of renaissance we're in right now. I think you're right. When I started building, there was uh, Irving Sloan's book on classical guitar construction. Right. That's what I found in the library. It was written in 1962 or 63. These days, you've got not only all kinds of books, you've got forums on guitar making and repair. You've got experts on the internet all the time. The quality has really, really gone up. It's pretty amazing time to be a guitar consumer because there's so many good ones out there. I had multiple super shitty guitars that were just unplayable yeah and now you can get these things that are just like evocative of that time but amazing builds exactly yeah i think we did a great job today what do you think yeah we covered a lot of ground you got the chicken tax in there yeah perfect that's important absolutely where can people find your stuff out there on the internet coleguitars.com is one there's an instagram kind of hard to miss i think which is a good thing ed where can people find us instagram facebook twitter pinterest yes we're the high gain on everything all right thank you Saul. thank you so much for showing up and talking to us thank you guys so much for asking me to chat with you it's been great we'll see you okay bye <laughs>